Hi, I'm your host, Anthony Giorgio, and you're listening to another episode of QT, Queer Teen Podcast, encouraging the next generation of queer youth from across the world to stand up for what's right. Hey everyone, I'm super excited about my next guests. Of course, I'm going to let them introduce themselves. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Take it away. Well, I'm Isabella Romero. Hi. Hi. Uh, I was the script supervisor on Golden Girls for all seven seasons. Wow. Um, I was there for, every, uh, I think, all but one episode uh, on set, in the set with... Uh, with the four women, working with them, rehearsing with them. Um, I worked with all the directors that we had, including uh, Terry Hughes, who did uh, over 100 episodes. I was um, I was privileged to uh, write three episodes, which was, oh, re- cool. I didn't know which that. was a great opportunity uh, in the later years. Um, and I, we did the math, and I think I'm the person who spent the most time Alone with the ladies because I had uh, every Friday, uh, which was our tape day, uh, I would start my day at lunch with the four and we would sit, just the five of us, in a very quiet room and we'd go over the script changes and rehearse and rehearse. We'd do each scene a few times and, uh, you know, gab a little bit and uh, they would ask questions about the script, so it was a it was a pretty great opportunity to to spend probably more time than anyone else on the show. That's so cool. So I'll explain to my listeners what we're actually doing right now is that we're sitting inside the Arinda Theater, which is this gorgeous Art Deco movie house slash cabaret house too, uh, at behind the Golden Curtain, which is the Golden Girls. I call it a symposium because it's, you know, it's different lectures and I'm here with the girls, the Golden Gays, and we performed on Friday uh, and there's different speakers. There's writers, producers, and actors, guest stars that were on the show as well um, here in California. So that's like a little bit of the setting. And actually this office is amazing because it literally has movie posters from, I mean, all over. The history of film. The history of film. This theater, if anyone gets a chance, come to Orinda. Go to the Arenda Theater just to even see it. Uh, it's, it's just gorgeous. It's, the, the interior cannot say enough about it. Oh my gosh, it's, it's so neat. So that's just a little bit about that. So seven years on that one show, and you sat down with them every Friday, for the most part, and worked with them. Uh, what was... Okay, so what brought you to L.A.? What brought me to L.A.? I had worked my way through uh, media school uh, in Ohio, um, I'd worked my way through as a country singer. Oh, and I cool. know, didn't see that coming. I did, did not you? see that I coming. I know, I know. And uh, and I thought to myself, I'm not brave enough to move to Los Angeles. Okay. And I thought, where can I go where I can do TV shows, but I won't have to move far away? So I moved to Nashville, Tennessee where I got my first job out of college as a, a PA, a gopher, um, at the television uh, production 
division adjacent to the Grand Ole Opry. That's cool. Uh, and so I knew a lot about country music because yeah. I, I had worked through school that way. And uh, and it was a great opportunity. And I thought I was going to be doing country music shows all the time. But as it turned out, I wound up being assigned to people coming in from other places like New York and L.A. And I actually, some of the first shows I did at the Grand Ole Opry were... That's crazy to were, me. I love that. Were ballet shows. Oh, okay. Um, there was a, a series called Dance in America where uh, uh, they shot those shows at the Grand Ole Opry because it was cheaper than shooting them in New York. Yeah. And so yeah. Uh, so I did that. I did a variety, uh, a kind of a syndicated variety show, um, which had all kinds of music and it got to work with everybody from Ray Charles to Kitty Wells to, I mean, iconic figures. And then, um, and then I started doing, uh, I did a, a TV special starring Anne-Margaret. And it was Anne Margaret in a skin tight cowgirl suit. Cool. And her guests were Bob Hope and Perry Como. What? A and it, yes. At the Grand Ole Opry. At the on the stage of the Grand Ole Opry before a live, before a live audience, uh, the producers were very famous TV producers, uh, uh, Gary Smith and Dwight Hemian. Mm -hmm. And it was during that show where I was. There was the slow pace of Nashville and the, the very excited, very energetic pace of Hollywood people coming in and trying to adjust. Anyway, I kind of got caught up in the, in the exciting pace and Gary Smith said to me, you know, you really ought to, you really ought to move to LA if you're gonna be in this business. And I said, oh, you're gonna, you're gonna give me a job? He goes, well, I don't have a job for you, but you'll have no trouble at all young man and uh, that's how that worked yeah uh everyone always says those things you should, you should go there and you're like okay i'll go <laughs> i'll try it you know it is scary i mean any like the la new york city any of the bigger cities it's like a yeah. little intimidating i honestly had had never experienced big city life and, and la la isn't even it doesn't even qualify as a big city it's more of a big quilt True. It's wide. It's wide and it's sprawl yeah. and it's all dotted with different neighborhoods. It takes forever to get around. Yeah. And, and, but each each neighborhood has its own distinct identity. It and, does. Yeah. And so uh, so I, I came to L.A. and based on the recommendation of Gary Smith and then another uh, a, a woman who had worked on the, the special, uh, I got a job very quickly at... Uh, uh, Dick Clark Productions. Dick Clark yeah, uh, yeah. was doing a lot of variety shows. So oh, that's that was so cool. my start. And then I went on to do a whole bunch of music shows. Uh, so I worked with a lot of top musicians of the of the late 1970s and 80s. Uh, I worked on Solid Gold. I worked on what? The Midnight Special. I worked on... You must have met... Because when you do variety MTV. shows, when you do variety shows, you meet... You'll meet more than your share of people because oh, yeah. obviously you're, they're bringing in the variety acts. And because you know my job on those shows was to break down the songs into their into their smallest parts and put them on paper, oh. so that the director knew when the when the drum solo was going to come in or wanted to know what the background vocals were. Were they ooh ooh, ooh or shooby doo wah or, yeah, yeah, yeah. or whatever? You, 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 
the crew had to be aware, so their cameras and microphones were always, you know, where they needed to be. Yeah. And so I, one of the first steps in that process was meeting with the artists, and I would sit 10 feet away, and they'd play through a song, sometimes with their instruments plugged in, sometimes not. And I would sit, you know, 10, 20 feet away from... Uh, you know, from Michael Jackson or the Beach Boys or so cool. uh, Blondie, uh, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, 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 Al Jarreau, Bobby McFerrin, uh, 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 I mean, jazz artists like Herbie Hancock yeah. I and mean, all the wide range of music. So it was a not only was it was it kind of a dazzling experience, but it was very educational as well. Yeah, I'd imagine because I always tell people, anyone that's going into this business, entertainment business across the board, the best way to obviously understand it is to like experience the work, right? Firsthand experience. Like everyone's like, you can go to school, you can do all those things. But the thing is really until you show up and someone throws something at you and you're like, sure, I can do that. That's fine. I got it. And if you can talk your way onto a set, do it. I, 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 it's very exciting. I... I would even say, I would. I mean, as someone who came to doing what writing I did, I mean, I, had, I sold a few scripts over the years. But even if you're, even if you're aiming for a, a writer's assistant job, if you can get on a set and and see how everybody interacts, it'll enhance your, it'll enhance your your, sure. your education to you know, get into the writer's room because you'll know how things work. You'll know exactly how they work. And everyone's so different and energies are so strong and personalities yeah. are obviously big. The number of writers that I know and producers, and I mean big time yeah. people, who started as phone pages sure. on, on sets. You know, set PA is, a, a, you know, it's a real. You, you get to know everybody and you get to know what they do and when they do it and why. And, and so it's a, it's a great way in. I... I start. Uh, I started in sitcoms, thanks to uh, another guest of Behind the Golden Curtain, uh, Marsha Posner Williams. Yeah, Marsha, who we all know and we all love. Mm -hmm. um, very, very funny, just vibrant woman. Yeah, if my listeners, if you ever, I don't know how. I mean, you gotta just meet her. She's yeah. just something else. Yeah, uh, but uh, but I had interviewed actually for a job on uh, a show called Benson. Yeah, which uh, you know is still out there running uh, with Robert Guillaume, and I had interviewed for the for uh, a writer's assistant job on Benson, and the woman who interviewed me was so excited that she went to Marcia and said, "I found the perfect person," and you know she went on and on how wonderful I was in this interview, and Marcia said, "Well, I want to meet this person," and Marcia met me and stole me away, so I I did not get to be on Benson. I got to be on with Thomas Harris's other show, which was the very, uh, you know, controversial and historic uh, uh, sitcom Soap. Soap, so good. Which was created and written by uh, the great Susan Harris, who a few years later would create the reason why we're all here today, uh, the Golden Girls. And uh, uh, I was, we're, we're in 1984, 85 now, 85, and I get a call from Marsha, and I'm working on Solid Gold, and I get a call to have lunch with Marsha, and she says hello. She doesn't say anything after that. She sits me down, 
she puts a tape in the machine, she presses play, she leaves the room, she comes back exactly 22 minutes and 30 seconds later, mm -hmm. and I have just watched the incredible pilot of The Golden Girls, and she says, so, are you with us? And I accepted the job on the spot. Wow, that's so cool. You, all you had to do was, in, in, in 1985, all you had to do was see it. Yeah. And you would know what, you, you would know what lies ahead of you. Mm -hmm. It is truly incredible and it doesn't happen very often. So when you nope. see it, yeah, yeah, I'll go for the, along for the ride. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, all that being said, do you mind talking a little bit personal about your own journey? Like as a person. Are as you talking about my journey or my journey? Your journey. You're my journey. Okay. Well, how do you identify? You can start how with do that. I, how do I identify? Yeah. Well, gosh. I identify as uh, female, and I identify as trans female, depending on who who is best served by by having that brought to their attention. Sure, I am a proud trans woman. Yeah, um, and I have been so. I've been in the closet. Oh dear, you know since I was four, maybe. I sure. think I had the first, I had the first understanding of it. Uh, no, understanding is <clears throat> the wrong word. I didn't understand it for a long time. You knew something I had the first there. awareness of yeah, it. Yeah, awareness, yeah. That there was something, and uh, I lived with that for a very long time. Um, through my entire career, um, I, I, starting in about 2005, uh, I began to really explore what it was all about. This mm -hmm. had been in my my head and, and my heart. Um, I was um, sorry. Uh, okay. <laughs> no, I I, I I I didn't know. I didn't understand. Of course. And and uh, I I. I didn't know if it was something I did or something I was. Yeah. And so over the years, uh, I explored. Uh, I, I uh, was had wonderful uh, counselors and such, um, and I started to figure things out piece by piece. And the with each piece of the puzzle that I put together of my life and my past and my childhood and religion and all these different factors that I'm, I'm sure uh, other people have, you know, similar, similar mix of mm. in their personal stew. Of course, of course. I was, um, I got happier and happier. And as I got happier and happier, um, I began to embrace and embrace. And in uh, 2017, I uh, pretty much retired. I was doing a show as a script supervisor called Young and Hungry, uh, which was one of the most fun, enjoyable experiences of my career. Mm -hmm. uh, it starred uh, Emily Osmond and uh, uh, Kim Whitley and Rex Lee and uh, Amy Carrero, and it was just a fun group. And the uh, and I thought to myself, at the time I was uh, 63, 64, and uh, I thought, wow, I, whatever I, whatever I do next is going to be a step down. I cannot imagine having 
you know, another experience that would match this for the sheer fun of it. And so I, I took a long drive, about 11,000 miles, just thinking about it. That's a long drive. And I, I thought about, not only did I want to retire, but was I ready to come out as whatever it was I was going to come out as? Yeah. Uh, and I thought about that, and um, I did a lot of traveling. To, to figure things out, uh, Isabel went to uh, Isabel. Isabel went to uh, I see London, I see France, uh, mm -hmm. I see Shanghai, I see Tokyo. Wow, it's such an Epre Love moment there. Yeah, it, it, it's it, it was experiencing different places mm -hmm. in a in a feminine uh, uh, expression. Yeah, and and being. Being really surprised by by what I was capable of, and so in um, April of 2019, I came out to everyone on social media. I had come out to my my tight circle sure. uh, in the in the couple of months leading up to it, but I came out uh, in April of 2019, and wow, it's been it's been just extraordinary. Uh, sure, I I you know I am. I am blessed with a tremendous amount of, of, you know, privilege. Um, I, I saved my money. I, I got to work in a, in a business that uh, has ways of taking care of its people, uh, uh, pensions and things like that. So, uh, you know, I, I, I was not, uh, I did not have obstacles to leading a, a, a nice pleasant small town life yeah I, I, I was I was able to do that and I am forever grateful because I know that so many in the LGBT community um, don't have that right they they, uh, they they don't have certain opportunities or uh, things in their background that can help them and so I I was grateful to be able to transition under the circumstances that I have. When you were going along um, doing your career, were there any moments in there that like caught you off guard? <laughs> <laughs> that you could, like one couple of particular moments really. Uh, you were like, huh. You know, there was so much I couldn't say. Sure. I couldn't, like if there was, what were, Maybe, uh, what we then referred to as female impersonators yeah. on a particular episode of a show. I wish I could have spoken to them. Yeah. To know, you know, because this a lot of it was pre-internet. Yeah. So there was no information. There was None. no way to connect with people. No. I, I wasn't a bar goer. I, 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 I got married. I got, you know, mm -hmm. I had a, a, a life uh, that... I didn't. I, I was afraid. I was. I was too afraid to risk any of it. Um, there. So there were moments of frustration, like not being able to talk to the occasional mm -hmm. performer. Um, there were times when scripts that I would be working on on a set would uh, make jokes. Um, sometimes, in the cause of a greater good, there would be shows that you know, would do 18 minutes of jokes about 
you know, being a cross-dresser or, yeah. you know, whatever. And then the last three minutes of the episode would be about acceptance and about positivity and would would pay off. But you, but for me, well, for the viewer, they only saw those 18 minutes of jokes once. Yeah. And I had to live with those jokes for five days, yeah. rehearsing them over and over. So it had a little bit more impact on me because in addition to the jokes, you would, there would be accompanying discussion about this week's script. And sometimes people's attitudes, and I'm talking about crew mostly, I'm not sure. talking about actors or actresses or, uh, but I remember one, I, you know, I remember one episode of a sitcom I was doing and there was, the big reveal was opening a door and there was this guy there in, in a kind of a flowing thing. And it was a payoff to a, a joke that had been built up. And he was in a, a you know, kind of a flowing gown, gowny type thing. And, and I looked at that in rehearsal and I thought, oh, okay, I can see where they're going with this. Mm -hmm. You know, there, there was a, I'm an optimist by nature. And so sure. I, I will always try to see the good and try to understand as of much course. as I can. Yeah. So then when we, when we shot it the next day, unbeknownst to me, the note had come down that it looked, it looked too ordinary, it looked too real. And so when I saw the bit next, we were rolling on it in front of a live audience and the door opened and no one had told me that there'd been a wardrobe change. So the door opened and here was the same actor but he was now dressed in a in a mini dress, a, an electric blue mini dress sequins, you know, and it was it was very very funny. Um, and I remember, not uh, it, it was not someone from the show then, but I it reminded me of a of a phrase I heard someone say, which was, "Ah, yeah, here you go, nothing funnier than a guy in a dress," you know, so. And I thought yeah. about that. And, and so those things, but then there were also, you know, in, in later years, as awareness changed, as the internet connected everyone, uh, there were, I remember on the last show that I, that I did, Young and Hungry, uh, we had uh, an opportunity to cast the role of uh, the main character's favorite aunt be becoming her uncle. Okay. And there was an actor that I knew could knock it out of the park. But how would I know that? You know, how would I, you know, I, I, how, why, why would I be so plugged in, in my mind? I'm thinking, yeah. do I have to explain myself? You know, I, well, I, why do I, how do I know this actor? You know, why do I, you know, why do I have all this secret code information about the, you know, transgender community and blah, blah, blah. I was so stupid. Anyway. I mean, you're not stupid. It's, it's you even told, you just said it, like. Because of the the nature of television, how it's progressed, a lot of it's good, but the way it started, you're like, oh god. But I found myself in I found myself Ouch. in a position to recommend an actor who I know could kill the role, a, yeah. a trans actor. Great. And lo and behold, somebody I mentioned it every chance. I didn't push it as a suggestion. But any time the conversation, you know, this would be while the script was being written, any opportunity I had to slip the name in 
and put it in people's minds until somebody said, oh, I know who would be a good actor. You know, I've heard about this guy. Yeah. You know, and we had this terrific actor come in and just crush the role. Yeah. And I was, I, I, I felt like I'd, you know, made my contribution, you know. A hundred percent, yeah. Yeah. So it was, uh, 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 that was a very satisfying moment. Yeah, it's uh, the history of television through queerness and the queer lens is, 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 is a fascinating one in America and it's also definitely fascinating if you look at it over in Europe as oh well. yes so it's so like they got Europe tended to get a little ahead of us faster they just tend to mm-hmm. do more sooner I guess they've been around longer and then over here I don't know it's just a it's a crazy I mean it's definitely a misogynist cisgendered like heteronormative like it's all of those things wrapped up I, so I personally I tend to think of it as, you can't that's uh, what we know well, you can't there's a lot of religion in it, and, and, and this is because I—it's because I had come from a religious background. Yeah, um, and uh, I think that had a lot to do with it. For I, sure, I, I, I think that's what drives some people, and the fact that—that uh, that, you know, it—it it remains a man's world. I and, know. I mean, we're 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 changing it. Yeah. Uh, oh, for sure. You know, but, for sure. Uh, well, I mean, we have so many things going on right now. Obviously, coming again, attacking trans rights, attacking uh, drag rights. Queer rights in general. Florida is a garbage state right now oh. for all of that. And uh, but I think it's important. It's this weird thing that I know what'll implode, right? Like all everything does, things will happen, and, and it'll all explode. I should say, and uh, and I don't. They're not. They're not. The people that are trying to take us all down are not going to win. They might seem like they are right now. But well, one of the greatest. I don't think they are. One of the greatest moments of. I don't know, stand, standing still in a place on a sidewalk of my life was the morning in front of the Supreme Court when marriage equality was announced. Yeah. And I, I was standing there on, on the steps of the Supreme Court when the entire queer world went apeshit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and I never felt like... Things could, you can hear the dramatic music rising. Yeah, I know, I know. As I, it's good time as I talk about it. But but it it, it was one of the it, it was an extraordinary moment. And later that day, as the sun went down, the White House lit up in in pride colors. Yeah. And I as things as I read each new uh, 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 attack. As I read of each new repressive law, as I read of each new right uh, 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 retracted, I think about that day. Yeah. And I think about how we are not going to let these people win. No. And 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 then you know the optimist in me, the the Pollyanna in me, thinks, gee, I wish we didn't have to call it a fight, a war, a I battle. Know. I know. You know because I. I don't want to fight you. No, I, you I don't know. either. I really don't because I don't. I don't actually care about your business. But yeah, you I, really care about ours. Yeah, like you're really gung ho, a button into what we're doing with our personal lives. Yeah, and and trying to live our truths. I don't. I don't know. Like it's such a. Because I'm an optimist too. I'm like I don't get it. Like, but yeah, there is going to be enough. There is a fight happening, a war going on yeah, with it, and, and, uh, and we got to be ready for it. And I. You know, and and I, I wish I could travel, to, you know, to Georgia. I wish I could travel to Florida and and you know, 
be in every state where people are needed. Yeah. But then, uh, you know, I, I'm fortunate, again, you know, going back to, to my great privilege. I live in California. I live in Southern California. Right. I live in Los Angeles County, California. And I think to myself, you know, all I can do is tend to my backyard. All I can do mm -hmm. is, is try to make my immediate world better. And so, so what I've tried to do is, is uh, be more of a presence in local issues and local politics in my own city. It makes a huge impact. And, you know, even at this event, I'm doing a silent auction uh, to raise money for what will be only the second uh, Pride event, Pride festival ever held in uh, the city of Burbank, California. Yeah, I heard about that. You did the first one this. We did this. the first one last year, yeah. and it was it was uh, pretty remarkable. That's... Uh, and you know, Burbank is a, an historically conservative sure. town that has been changing. Yeah, and boy, has it changed. And we were we. We made it a Burbank small town event. Mm -hmm. It wasn't, it, it, you know, we, we didn't have to be West Hollywood. We didn't have to be. Right. All we had to be was Burbank. So we made it about all the different kinds of family. We called it Family Pride. And uh, we talked about the family you're born with, the family you find accidentally, yeah. and the family you choose to, to, to be your family. And... Uh, and it and and the other thing that we did that, was, that I thought was significant was we 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 dropped the event. It wasn't held off in a park somewhere. It wasn't held off in a parking lot somewhere. It was held in the direct center of town. Great. And so we had all of the city interacting with us, and people were curious, and, you know, which is the greatest thing in the world. If somebody is curious enough to come and check out what you're doing, mm -hmm. that's the best. Because they can ask real questions. You can like have a lived experience with yeah. another human being yeah. living their truth. And then you can be like, oh, yeah. that's what you're doing. It's like, wait, yeah, wait a minute. That's wait, all I'm doing, honey. Where's the evil that I was told to be here? I it's know. Like, I don't see any evil going on. People often are, get, people often are like, well, why, why are they so angry when they don't know anything? I was like, that's just it. Like the unknown makes people anxious. I don't know why our lives are so concerning to them, but the unknown makes people anxious. But once they literally have a conversation, it really does make a huge impact. I'm not going to say that it's impossible, but I'm going to say it's very difficult to to look somebody in the eye, just as you and I are sitting here. Yeah. Sit across from someone at a table and have coffee or whatever and hate them. Right. Right. Because from the moment, from the moment that any any information about them comes out of their mouth and enters your ears your and again the music crescendos at the exact right moment uh, but the, the but the moment you start to learn it, it, there's a certain dissipating that goes on of, of sure. the tension and the emotion yeah I mean I I've spoken to some well, on this podcast, I speak to, like, everybody. But, like, I, in the public and at political events and stuff like that, I've spoken to some really, really intense yeah. individuals. And I'm like, and then I just say, I was like, it's not that serious. I'm like, I, I, I understand where, I don't understand where you're exactly coming from because I was at a privilege and I've been very fortunate to have a great family. Mm -hmm. And I came out when I was 16 and I would broke 
took my boyfriend to the prom in 2000. Like, wow. like I did those things. I know that's my privilege. I'm very aware of it. So that's why I do the educational side. That's why I try to meet people, talk to people from all over the world and understand them. Like you went on your trip and your journey and like, because if you live those experiences, you sit down and like, well, we're literally just doing right now, mm-hmm. no matter who it is, you'll just understand that there's a story there and they'll mm-hmm. tell you their story. And that's it. You yeah. can, you, and you just have empathy for the situation and, and embrace it. Yeah, and and all the, uh, when I did my eleven thousand mile trip, I I was presenting as male at the time, but I deliberately went through almost entirely red states because I wanted to meet people, and and this was after the, almost this is like four months after the five months after the twenty sixteen election. Oh, the dumpster. And so. So I, uh, so I tried to engage people as I went and yeah. tried to talk to them about things. And I, I discovered that if you didn't mention, if you didn't mention politicians by name, if you didn't mention political organizations by name, mm-hmm. people would talk to you about most anything, and you yeah. would find that that if if you weren't talking about all of a group, if you weren't talking about all of those people, all of those uh, 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 immigrants, all of those gays, all of those whatever, if you, all of those poor people. And, and if you talked about someone that they, you know, that they knew, someone who lived down the street from them, someone in their town, mm-hmm. it, it's like, of course we're not going to let that family go hungry. You know, of course not. So we all want the same thing. We do. We don't want our neighbor to to be, you know, have food insecurity. No. You know, but if you start talking about Hillary Clinton wants this or Donald Trump wants that or or the Democrats and the Republicans want that, th- then the, the the shields go up and you can't you can't have a conversation at all. Well, but yeah. I had some I had some wonderful conversations about about guns, mm-hmm. about uh, about poverty and and again food insecurity uh uh about i i again it was my it was my my own fear at the time but i would i would kind of have light kind of dusting conversations about the lgbt community um and i i just found people could be a, a lot more reasonable if somebody wasn't there riling them up like the music man yeah exactly like yeah, the that's music good. Man. yeah 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 you know I, that's what i've always called it i call it you know guy rolls into town you know sean hannity yeah. you know and says you got trouble my friends they have the original yeah music man, the co- i saw that yeah i saw that uh, on display at yeah. the historic orinda theater in, or- in orinda california yeah. please visit spend money watch movies yes um the uh but but the music band comes to town and he says you got trouble and it's these people over here who are causing the trouble and so let's let's get them and oh by the way give me money so I can buy band uniforms and instruments and I'll be over here on that's my way out of example. town and that's yeah that's, that's a great grand example of like yeah I agree with you there was a politician so I lived in New Jersey for a while and there was a politician um, and he the biggest thing he did for one year because New Jersey's a funny state it's pretty red and blue it's like a weird hard combination Mm -hmm. he just literally went around and spoke to individuals like we're doing right now Mm -hmm. over democrats republicans just spoke to everyone went into their families went to their houses went to their Mm -hmm. community centers literally just had these conversations of like really what 
How can I make you feel safe if I'm going to be elected? That's great. How can I make and you feel And he got elected. Yeah. Across the board, from Democrats and Republicans. Yes. How can I make you feel safe? And he that's does a great a, job. Yeah. And he makes you feel safe. Like, you know, I think that's what we don't do a great job in this country is that we've, we've instilled so much fear in living and existing, which well, is what's happening right now in politics. It's awful. Well, again, you know, during the pandemic, I, 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 it's a very long story that I won't, that I won't tell. But during the pandemic, due to certain choices that I made and circumstances that I kind of arranged for myself, I met a great many people Mm -hmm. during the pandemic. Yeah. And had a chance to have one-on-one conversations with strangers in my own community. Great. And being able to do that in in a, you know, literally as people kind of walk by the house, being able to engage people in conversation, I I could stand on my porch and they would stand ten feet away, no masks, and people feel comfortable and they feel safe because you know you're not literally breathing down their neck. Yeah, but I learned so much about my community and and as a as a a relatively uh, 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 new newly out trans woman, for many of those people I was the first trans person they'd ever met, and. And it wasn't that I was, I, I, you know, I had, I had the flag in one hand and, you know, uh, uh, standing on the front lawn, but it was an opportunity to, to just be a person and not talk, not, 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 it didn't have to be an issue. Just all being it, a person. All it had to be was me talking like a human being. Yeah. And it's like, oh, I mean, there were a couple of people who said, wow, you, you, you you're not what I expected at all. And it's like, Imagine my that. work here is done. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. That's why the conversations are so important, just to understand a human being. So, yeah. And then, and then we're proud of who we are, Yeah. and then you can be proud of who you are. Yeah. But it's also important, and I, I, uh, this is an idea that has grown on me over the last few years, is we can't just be proud to ourselves, to each other. We, uh, you know, I, I think the Pride movement is outstanding. I think Pride events are outstanding, but but we have to we have to be proud to everybody. Yeah. Oh, we, yeah. I agree with you. One hundred percent. We need to we need to get. I I when I occasionally talk to a group, I hate to say it to to young people who I know have have been bullied, who I know have been scared, sure. that that don't let it stop you. Don't let it keep you in your safety zone. Don't let it keep you where you're safe. Go out into the world, in your local community. Mm-hmm. Make a difference. And the moment you start making a difference, a general difference, you're going to become, you're going to become, they're going to rely on you. Correct. They're going to invest in you. They're going to trust you. Mm-hmm. And that's how things are going to change. Yeah. And that's how we, yeah, that's how we actually transform and lift up everyone. And yes, obviously, they are coming hard for the queer community right now. I get it. It doesn't seem like we can push through that. But I always tell people, voting, local politics, like the the, the small little comptroller, the the councils, Mm -hmm. that actually makes the impact in the Washington, like that carries over. In into life and like and it gets further and further out into the states and like 
that's actually what makes a difference to yeah. make people aware of like healthcare and homelessness and like uh, segregation still and like things that are still going on. Like you don't know it until you go into your community and be like, oh, I didn't know that neighbor or they live there or that's what my neighbor is or that's what my neighbor does for a living. Exactly. You just really absolutely have to. And I know it's not easy for people. I get get that. We get that. Introvert. I get it. I get it. I get it. I get it. I'm not. I'm a way extrovert. But, but, Um, but but, But we have to get over ourselves. Yes. You know, I agree. Particularly in steps, you don't have to do it all at once. No, no. Uh, but steps. every, but as I say, I found myself in a position to talk to people every day who were who were walking by, and and could engage them in conversation. And during the pandemic, people were hungry for that. Oh, hundred percent. And I thought, and 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 as I say, just you, you don't have to advertise. You don't have to campaign. You don't have to. To, to virtue, what is it? Virtue speak or whatever? I don't know. Virtue Virtual. signal? I don't know what it is. Don't I believe you. Anyway, <laughs> you, you don't have to, to do anything other than be your your Just good be, old self. That's it. How is your family with you and everything? Do you, I don't know. You know, like, I don't have much family. Okay. Uh, I, I, lost, uh, I lost my parents when I was uh, a teenager. Oh, okay. Uh, I, uh, I lost my brother uh, about... Uh, Nine years ago. Okay. Uh, but my sister, oh, I could, uh, I could tell you, my sister is the best. Oh, good. She has, she has loved me so well and so hard and so through everything. And even though she supported me, even though she didn't understand all the, you know, nuance of what was happening with me. She's still stuck with it, and and she actually, uh, when we were doing the uh, Golden Con in Chicago, my sister came to visit me, and she saw me in in an entirely new way during that weekend, where she saw me engaging with people and how people engaged with me, and I'm not, you know, I'm not a, a celebrity, but I'm I'm celebrity adjacent. Yeah, you know, you've been around. I, you know, they people know you. Yeah, but but people wanted to talk to me about my experience and where I'd been and what I'd done. And my sister had never seen that. Sure. Had never seen how I did that in this new incarnation. Sure. You know, how does it feel for you when you're doing it in this new incarnation? I it uh, it feels it feels like I was born for it. It's great. You know, so which which may be a. a a, a, a good landing spot for the conversation. I just I have think. one more thing that I always ask my guests. Oh, of course. I did, one not, more thing. I did not know there was a regular segment. Yeah. Okay, what do uh, we got? I just want, what would you give my queer youth listeners, what words of wisdom would you give them? Forward. Uh, go forward into the masses. You don't have to preach. You don't have to campaign. You don't have to incite. You don't have to scream. All you got to do is be your best self. And not everybody will get it, but some people will. And those are the people that are going to make the difference when when the time comes to 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 you know look for help. When the time comes to support a cause. When the time comes to to um, to to vote for the for the people who who 
will make the person after you, you know, who will determine their life. So, forward. And thanks for listening to another episode of QT, Queer Teen Podcast, encouraging the next generation of queer youth from across the world to stand up for what's right. And remember, listen, learn, love.